It's all over so quickly, isn't it? Christmas, I mean. It's hard to believe it was only a week ago. Those of you who heard me preach about Advent know that I made a big deal of the season as a time of waiting that begins in the dark. I want you all to know that I tried, I really did, to be a good Advent Christian this year and practiced what I preached. But I also need to confess to you all this morning that I managed also somehow to figure out what radio station what it was that played my favorite Christmas songs in the radio and car. And I did on occasion backslide and listen to Nat King Cole in what I admit was a liturgically inappropriate manner. But on Christmas Eve night, after the late service here was done and the church doors were locked, the Lord in his mercy blessed me all the same. Joy to the World, sung by Nat King Cole, started up just as I turned on the car radio in the parking lot. So I got to drive home through Oak Cliff in the middle of the night with the stereo blasting. When the song was done, though, the nighttime DJ came on the air and said, Thanks for tuning in to DFW's favorite Christmas classic station, where we're playing nothing but your favorite Christmas songs from now all the way through Christmas Day. Which, of course, was the next day, starting in about two hours. Oh no, I thought, are you kidding me? I finally get one guilt-free Christmas carol, with the volume way up, and after tomorrow, I'm going to have to go back already to NPR and podcasts. I wasn't ready for that yet. I needed more Christmas than that. It's 12 days for a reason, isn't it? Well, although... I, for my part, declare to you all that it is completely okay to continue to wear Christmas sweaters, drink eggnog, and put off your New Year's resolutions for another whole week, because it is the Christmas season still. I also know that it can be hard not to feel a certain letdown after Christmas Day. Sometimes. Some years. We sometimes work so hard to make Christmas into the perfect Courier and Ives, Christmas card, Christmas of our imaginations. We invest so much hope in the dream that we have of bringing everyone together, showing our family how much they mean to us, that when the day finally comes, it can't help but be something of a disappointment. Maybe everyone was exhausted from the travel and the preparation, and tempers got short. Or maybe you spent so much time running around, reheating the potatoes and making the dessert that by the time it was all over you realized that you hardly got to talk with anyone. Maybe there were people you would have liked to be with very much that weren't there for one reason or another. Maybe there's someone who was there in person but far away from you in spirit. And Christmas made that gap feel rather painful. Where did Christmas go then, we might wonder. I was waiting for it for weeks, and it was here for a flash, a moment, and then it was gone. There's a passage I love from the poet W.H. Auden's Christmas Oratorio that gets this feeling just right. Well, he writes, so that is that. Now we must dismantle the tree putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes. Some have got broken, and carrying them to the attic. 
Holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt. And the children got ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do warmed up for the rest of the week. Not that we have much appetite, having drunk such a lot. Stayed up so late. Attempted, quite unsuccessfully, to love all our relatives. And in general, grossly overestimated our powers. Once again, as in previous years, we have seen the actual vision and failed to do more than entertain it as an agreeable possibility. Once again, we sent him away, begging them to remain his disobedient servant. That can be true, isn't it? We have seen the vision of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We lit our candles in the dark, sang Silent Night, and drank in the peace from above that stole over Mary and Joseph that long-ago night in Bethlehem. But did we carry it with us to the next morning? Did we see it as just a vision, as a dream and nothing more? Only the hope of a perfect Christmas with everyone home and at peace that always seems to be just out of Well, all of this, I think, is why the doctrine of the Incarnation that's at the heart of Christmas is really so crucial. Not just as something that we say in the creeds, but for our very lives, our salvation. If it isn't true, like the Gospel of John says this morning, that the eternal and almighty Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, then Christmas may well be the cruelest of holidays. For some people... Sometimes. The vision it holds out is too good, too beautiful, too peaceful and joyous for any home or any world that we're ever a part of to live up to, if we have to make Christmas ourselves. It's almost too exhausting to try, impossible to achieve, and painful to experience when we inevitably fail, fall short. No, I think if Christmas is real only as a feeling in our hearts or the spirit of giving or something like that, then there's a good case to be made that Ebenezer Scrooge was right after all. Bah humbug to the whole thing. Well, thankfully, St. John tells us that what was really going on in the stable in Bethlehem wasn't just the birth yet another inspiring figure. Jesus wasn't just someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who had a dream and showed us that there is another way to live in this world, a vision of justice and forgiveness for a reconciled future as brothers and sisters, but who then gets snuffed out, as the world tends to do to people like him. Oh, Jesus had a vision, let there be no mistake. Jesus did show us that there is another way to live in this world. But because Jesus is the incarnate word, fully man and fully God, 
Jesus opened up for us a way to the kingdom where there is no way. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. So that we could become children of God. As John says, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. A great vision, you see, of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. If it's left up, if it's left up just to us, will always become what St. John and St. Paul in our text this morning call the law. That is, the great accusing burden of feeling like, for instance, we'll never be the kind of person that our family really deserves, or that the stone we're rolling up the hill will never make it to the top. We'll probably just fall back down to the bottom as soon as we're too tired to push it. That's part of what it means when Scripture talks about the law. It's the good that we can never quite do, the peace that we can never quite find, the love that we always seem to set aside for old battles that we never win. Thanks be to God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not law. Instead, it is what John calls grace upon grace, freely given all the way down. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Or St. Paul. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. We don't make the vision of Christmas come by ourselves. Only Christ can do that. On Christmas, God in Christ adopts us as his children into his family, brings us, you might say, into his own home, and sits us down at his table. When we get there, we see that Mary, our mother, is there, and Joseph, and the shepherds, and Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus. They're all there. St. Augustine is over by the tree, wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, and going on and on about something. St. Francis and St. John are there. They're just quietly sitting near Jesus, as close to Jesus as they can, drinking it all in. And our Lord is the life of the party. He's thought of everything. He's decorated the house, called up the music, he made the meal, and you can just be there and enjoy the wine and the friends and the laughter. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. All we have to do is lift up our hearts and sing.